Hi everyone and welcome to Frazer's Capital Podcast. On this episode I'm having another chat with my colleague Peter Stevens uh, and we're going to talk coronavirus and two of our biotech investments. Peter, how's it going? Good, Mike. It's good to be back again. And um, not the most uplifting topics, but um, lots of information to yeah, divulge. Exactly. And coronavirus is one of those memes. It's just kind of, you, know, you feel like almost everybody in the planet's probably spoken about that in the last week or so. Well, this, is probably, day. this is probably one of the first ones which is getting such widespread social media coverage as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, SARS was quite a few years ago. I mean, it wasn't Yeah, that was like 2002. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the stats, it's actually pretty bad. So... You see a lot of people quoting, uh, you know, roughly 2% mortality rate. But you think about it, it must be much higher than that. Because there's 15,000 people and 300 people have already died. Most of those 15,000 people have, like, kind of effectively checked into the hospital in the last few days. Um, perhaps a better comparison would be the mortality rate versus the people who have actually been cured and exited hospital. And they're roughly equal at the moment. Yeah, I think around 450 people have recovered, 360 deaths. 17,000 confirmed cases, so... So that means most people are still in effect, whatever the pipe, whether the medical equivalent... Yeah, there's, the a, pipeline there's a pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't be laughing. Um, yeah, but I guess the other way of looking at it is the mortality rate of people in hospital is probably much, much higher uh, than what's being reported or what people are kind of quoting. Uh, but it seems like there's a lot of people who are very light symptoms that probably aren't checking in, and maybe that's why it's so infectious. So it could be both worse of both worlds, where some people have very mild symptoms... Um, and are contagious, you know, for quite a while uh, before it gets serious enough for them to check themselves in. Um, but so for everyone, people, everyone kind of first thinks they've just got a common cold. Exactly. Or even uh, actually even as completely asymptomatic. So often, often you're actually spreading the disease when you don't have any symptoms at all. And a lot of the symptoms you associate with the disease, with say the common cold, are actually caused by your body's defense. You know, like runny nose and things like that. Even fever, you know, that's your body's defense mechanism um, against illness. Uh, so often people are most infectious with a cold before their symptoms, and by the time they're symptomatic, they're much less so. Um, it's kind of interesting in this. I mean, it's, I've always thought it's really annoying that nobody really does any work on the common cold because um, it's such a debilitating illness. You know, it knocks all of us out like multiple times a year, and it's pretty bad when you have it. Like you always forget, you feel pretty ill. You know, when you have a common yeah, there's cold. Yeah, there's a few days in bed. So yeah, but it seems like the kind of like doctors and everyone just says, "Oh, it's fine. It's too hard to treat. There's too many different types." Um, maybe it would make more sense to actually think, okay, of all these the common types of common cold, which are coronaviruses, um, you know, how are they all similar? You know, what are they, how are they alike? Um, there must be some kind of druggable targets. But I feel like it's, you know, of all the biotech companies we look at, none basically are looking at this kind of thing. Do you think um, medical, I guess, medical research and pushing the frontier is a lot more focused on what's perceived as a more serious um, illness? I mean, than, definitely, than a yeah. Than I mean, a common cold? The, where, the, where the research funding goes and the areas of most need are completely like separate. They're yeah. two very different things. I guess it's like if 100% of people are sidelined for a few days, if 100% of people are sidelined for a few days a year versus 1% of people that are very uh, debilitated, more research is going into the category of very debilitated, even though in terms of actual days sidelined, the, the cold is probably impacting a lot more. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, I guess when it comes, I guess there's just some diseases that people are very scared of, you know, and kind of really have a grip on our imagination. So cancer would be one of those things. You know, curing one particular type of cancer is probably not going to really move, you know, 
your average life expectancy. I think someone once, I read a statistic somewhere that if you actually cured cancer, you'd increase human life expectancy by only three or four years. You know, because really things like heart disease that are also, you know, most people end up, more people end up dying of. Um, but it's just interesting to compare those you know, spending priorities versus, um, you know, what actually kills people and what actually costs the mm. most. Um, this is an interesting one. I mean, when it comes to markets, I mean, you're probably of a similar opinion. Like these things are not reasons to sell. You know, markets are based on what happens in the future. So if you sell on, you know, a particular virus scare today, um, there's a good chance in one, two or three years, this whole thing will blown over and be completely irrelevant to, you know, companies' future earnings. Well, we're talking here right now, which indicates that no past virus has ever destroyed the human race. Exactly. And I think people look at like 1918 was a terrible one. The one that kind of just at the end of the World War One. Yeah, the flu. The flu. And then mutated into a really violent one. So the people who got it first were actually kind of more safe than the people who got it at the end. Um, you know, that preceded like a decade of excellent equity market returns. Well, if you think mo- most things preceded an decade. excellent decade of <laughs> equity market returns, but if also if you look back to um, back to HIV AIDS, I think there have been about twelve serious um, pandemics or health global health worries and the average one month return on the announcement of that worry has been 0.8 percent the average three month return has been 2.2 percent and the average six month return has been 7.1 percent this be kind of after the peak of the panic or after it's reported or something you've seen that now i mean probably twice now we've woken up and you know equity markets are down two percent and a lot of aussie stocks are down five six percent they've almost all ended up flat or you know, have, give, have recovered most of those losses. Yeah, so and this is still probably itself. a China-specific problem. Yeah. I mean, it's, you, know, you know it must be bad because they've just shut down like 60 million people. Mm. But you'd also think that, that that's got to be effective, right? I mean, if people are just not moving around in China, that's got to like dramatically limit the spread. I mean, I guess when did, when did they start this? It was probably a week and a half ago. I feel like it was like the Friday before last. Um, it was like that when everyone said, like, right, this is serious. That was when the last flights came to Australia, for example. That's when people kind of shut their borders to China and China did a full lockdown on, um, on, the, on the regions where the, the virus was. But there if must there's be... a 14-day incubation, we're probably still probably two-thirds of the way through that. So the impact of that will be felt, you know, in, a, in about a week's time. In a week's time, yeah. There must be huge underestimation of cases, though, if, if the Chinese government has shut down cities for 16,000 reported cases. Also, this seems significantly more infectious than a typical, like, virus as well. I mean, all the doctor... The the doctor line right now is, you know, it's not like influenza. It kills many more people. But in many ways, this is, like, higher mortality rate seems to be spreading faster. Um, And it's definitely just much more scary. But don't sell your stocks. But don't sell your stocks. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So I thought today we'd actually talk about um, fires and burns. So it's obviously been, like, one of the most... um, Topical. Right topical now. things in Australia. I mean, it rained last night, and in Tamarama, you know, all the ash from like the local suburb just like came running came down. out of the drains. And so the whole sea just turned black. And it's you know this start this stuff started in September. It's not J- September 2019. It's not January 2020, and there's still you know just ash like just landing everywhere. You know, we, I left a window open, and again, living room covered in like a fine layer of ash. Like it's amazing how big these fires were and how like consequential they are. Um, but it's also interesting that there's two Australian companies that are completely innovating the way that burns are treated. Um, so they're Polynovo and Avita, which I think they're slowly starting to seep into the kind of investment consciousness now. But they're very small companies, you know, in a very short period of time ago. Um, so what they basically do is if you get a burn or have like an injury that's quite large, um, 
typically you'll graft skin on top of that, but you want to put a layer down first so it heals better. Um, if you don't put the layer down, the healing is very pinched. It's very blotchy. It's very, um, it's very generally a very poor outcome. Yeah, it's normally one one for three, right? In that they they graft one piece of skin, one centimeter squared, for example. Yeah. It becomes three centimeters squared, so it gets spread out very thinly. It looks a bit wafery, and um, yeah. lots of other negative. So the way, the way you improve that outcome is to put something below the skin graft. Um, and typically, what people use there's a film called Integra. Um, which makes uh, collagen, collagen products out of, um, out of cows. I think there's a firm in Germany that makes them out of pigs as well. Um, but there's a lot of problems with that because if you're putting down a layer of collagen and then put the skin on top, it's actually, um, well, it's quite problematic because if it gets infected, bacteria actually eat that collagen layer. Uh, and there's a bunch of horrible conditions, um, for example, flesh-eating bacteria, um, where you absolutely cannot put that layer down. Um, another thing I found interesting is that I mean, Integra makes about 600 million of revenue out of these kind of um, dermal layers uh, made of animal products. Um, but only 40% of hospitals, and we're getting this information from the company, by the way, uh, but only about 40% of the US um, hospitals use that. Um, and that's because it's expensive. Uh, so in many, in many places you go to get a, a significant burn treated, there'll be no layer under, and that's why you'll see those kind of terrible outcomes. So what does Polynovo actually do? Um, instead of using animal product, they've developed effectively uh, a polymer, a polyacrylate um, foam, basically. You can, you can make it into, um, I guess, whatever kind of foam or layer that you kind of want. Um, and the advantage of that is, is A, it's completely sterile. Um, B, it just works very well. So in the first week or two, nerves and blood vessels start growing through the foam. Um, and the whole thing dissolves into your body and is excreted naturally wow. uh, after one to two years. Um, so what that means is that you don't have to deal with animal products and it's also a fraction of the cost. Um, so we thought it was roughly about 50% of the price. We spoke to some surgeons um, and they said it's more like a tenth of the cost and that actually fit with what we heard from both uh, American surgeons and Australian. Uh, so it's clearly significantly cheaper in most places and obviously the price is very hospital to hospital. So um, This is such a good example of like the edge that a fund manager can get by speaking to not only the company but also surgeons so i mean obviously all of this information is, is public but actually seeking it out um like a fund manager can do it, it's very hard for a retail investor to get an edge for a business like polynovo i think it is i think you also have to invest right i mean you can actually you can get it you can get an expert on the, on the phone for an hour you can get like the leading you know key opinion leader you just have to spend three or four thousand dollars um so it's really helpful when you're in a kind of like professional environment to be able to make those investments um, to make sure you really have that expert opinion and advice uh, that kind of fits in with what you're seeing in the company. Definitely. And obviously, it's a much harder product to, to use in that um, if you're a retail investor, you can, you can go around and try Afterpay or try a consumer product, but you, you really don't want to try this one. Uh, no, this is not, <laughs> not something for retail to try at home. Um, but I'm sure if you have a, a burn in certain parts of Australia, you'll certainly... Uh, this will certainly be used, um, the surgeon will certainly make use of this. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Burns is like an area where nobody's ever really, there's been very little innovation um, and some pretty terrible outcomes. As mentioned, like um, best practices aren't even used everywhere. Um, but really the, the upside for polynovo is elsewhere. So hernias are an issue where there's, you know, might be a, a piercing of a, a body cavity. Again, this is perfect for that. Um, you could also have, do, this, it could also help in breast reconstructions where you make the breast sling 
out of a polymer that lasts one to two years uh, and then completely dissolves in your body. Right. What about the drug elution possibilities? It's a drug elution. I asked them about that. They said it's quite far. It's, you know, more like 2021, 2022. But in many ways, it could be one of the better applications for this. And what, to- lots, lots of the listeners probably don't know what drug elution is. So well, could, basically, could you outline what that is? Absolutely. So it's kind of, um, if you think about what you've got, you've got a polymer that takes one to two years to dissolve um, at a very set steady rate in the body. Now you can probably make, I don't know, I, th- I think about 40% of the substance, you can put anything in that, and it'll dissolve at the same rate. So you think about um, drug situations where there's very poor compliance. So things like contraceptives, um, antipsychotic medicines, perhaps diabetic medicines, you know, medicines that people like forget to take their pill every day. Um, instead, you could make an implantable object that, you know, releases X micrograms of, of any drug a day. Um, and, and polynovo's polymer could be used for that. Right. Um, and the other thing that's quite exciting is it's, you know, it's a polymer. So the margins are very, very high. I mean, these, it's very early on in their journey. They're really only kind of, um, they're really only kind of approved for serious burns in the U.S., uh, and it's not even approval that matters. You have to do studies to kind of prove cost The doctors have to like it. Yeah, you have to sell to the doctors. You know, there's, um, you know, in hernias, apparently there's about 65 possible way, things you can use, you know, to kind of like patch a hole. I mean, of all of them, like this has very strong selling points, namely that it's dissolvable um, and completely sterile. Um, but another interesting thing about Polynovo, and we'll move on to Avita, the other one, our other company, is that they've both got funding from the U.S. government, from BARDA, to develop um, their programs. So what BARDA will do, and this is, this is the group that um, funds research into emergencies and emergency responses. So obviously burns and large injuries are very relevant here. Um, BARDA has funded both these companies into proving their cost effectiveness. Um, so it's just another good example, a good like touch point of... You know, if you look at if you look at pharmaceutical companies, you know who are the partners, and are they getting non-dilutive funding and grants? Because that's by far the best way to fund your research is to get free money from the government. Um, in both Polynova and Avita's case, that is what has happened. I find it so interesting that they've chosen to list in Australia, even though I think it's developed in Australia. I mean, Avita. Right. My understanding is Avita was uh, was based on technology developed by a doctor called Dr. Fiona Wood. Um, I think in Perth, actually. And so these are both local technologies that have really kind of, um, really kind of taken off. And then they've got the funding from the US. Uh, Avita is listed in the US. Um, they've got about, they just did a cap raising, have about $130 million. Polynovo, you're right, has government funding, but it's listed in Australia. Um, so maybe I'd like to mention what Avita actually does. Yeah. And so if you've got, let's say you've got a large burn, um, instead of taking a skin graft, Avita will take 180th of the surface area um, put that in their little machine and they'll basically sell each machine is kind of one-time use uh, they call it resale system um, and then that will they, that will actually create a spray-on solution of everything you need to create a living layer of skin so to recap you take 180th of the skin of skin graft um, and then the resale you put in the resale system and then you can literally spray it on to the wound um, and basically what they've proven is that it, it looks like it does have a better outcome um, but the real benefit is that lack of skin grafting things. It's so, it's so weird to get your head around a spray-on skin. skin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they just have all the cells that you need to do so it. So instead of like one to instead of one to three, it's like one to 80. Is yeah. that right? But you've got to remember, these, both these companies could have gone and started in many different directions, and both of them chose large burns because there's such a high area of unmet need and there's no innovation there. 
So if you think about, um, if you're trying to prove that a Vita is better for a small burn or a scald, um, it's much easier to say, okay, in somebody with 60% of their body burned, um, their skin grafting is not really an option. I mean, skin grafting is a horrible process. You're basically grating off skin. Um, and if it's, if it's a really large, large injury or large burn, you have to wait until the skin grows back and do it again. And sometimes again and again. So these are like really traumatic injuries um, in their own right. And what, reset, what Avita's been able to show is they dramatically shorten the amount of time you need in hospital. They dramatically improve recovering time, particularly for the, uh, for the skin graft wound. Um, and it's just a very flexible system. Now again, it's like even more so than Polynova. I think I actually think Avita's got better long-term opportunities if they execute. If you think about what they've done, they've taken skin, they've got in like a solution, a separate solution. They can then, they can then make changes to that. So an immediate application would be, what about genetic disease? You know, there's genetic skin diseases. Um, you can basically make that genetic adjustment. We've invested in gene therapy companies before, um, and that, there's a number now on the market. You could make that genetic adjustment and then spray on a living layer of skin with the correct, you know, with the DNA um, problem corrected. Um, and these, are, these conditions are so bad, they can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars a year um, just to manage. Yeah. Um, so there's a huge commercial opportunity in these very rare genetic diseases. And there's also, there's also a commercial opportunity in vitiligo. Yeah, exactly. So vitiligo is the one that Michael Jackson had where your skin slowly like, turns white. Um, it's not... It's not um, is it more common for darker s skin tones? Uh, I don't think it's more common, but I do think it's, it's definitely more of a problem. So it's really... It, it's not painful. It doesn't you know, kill you. Um, it's just very noticeable. Yeah, I mean, think about, think about how much it affects people's mood if they're having a bad hair day or they've got a small pimple on their face. And then imagine having these huge blotches of white that are just slowly growing all over your dark skin. So basically, the darker you are, the more obvious you are. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, one of the very few options you have is to go fully white effectively and bleach your skin. Um, similarly, at very late stages of the disease, typically you're already all white anyway. Um, so it's actually much less kind of confronting and much less uh, obvious in that regard. So there's a huge area of unmet need. If you think about it, there's like, when people do market sizing for pharmaceuticals, one way you can do it is say 10,000 people get this. We can charge $10,000 a patient. So this is worth X hundred million. You know? Yeah. Um, but then there's also commercial opportunities where there's no, there's no, um, particularly for long-lasting diseases, uh, there's no cure, there's no treatment. So you have this like existing population, and that's what happens with vitiligo. There's 7.7 .7 million people in the US that have it. Um, it's roughly similar amount in China, or maybe it's 6.5 in the US, 7.7 .7 in China. You know, a few million in Japan. Like there's a huge, huge pa patient population that is desperate for a solution. It affects maybe one percent of the population to some degree. No, and there's no current solution. There's no current solution. So what you can basically do is use a Vita's uh, system to take a small amount of skin with pigment and then grow that into a suspension, um, and then spray that on. So use lasers to ablate uh, a layer of skin, then spray on a living layer um, of fully pigment of fully colored skin or normal colored skin using your own skin cells. Um, and I guess because, because the amount, moving back to burns, because the amount that Avita is taking so much smaller really opens up the situations where you'd use grafts. Um, so apparently it's quite relevant in pediatric scalds, like for children who get burned by hot water set, uh, because you don't actually want to graft in that situation because you're going to have to create another wound um, of almost equivalent size. Um, and somebody's growing very fast, you might create you know, a very bad scar outcome. But if you can take a tiny amount um, and then Im dramatically improve the scarring on the score, there's a good chance that uh, is a much superior outcome for everybody. So it just shows how, like, you know, by taking less skin, you can really kind of expand the market. 
Um, it's interesting how this really fits into the funds focus on customer love um, in that the recovery times are much faster. And I guess also if you're looking at the doctor as a customer, the doctors love it as well. It, it decreases patients' time in hospitals. Exactly. I mean, um, I guess Pauline over the first time I heard about it was from a plastic surgeon up in Queensland. And he was like, you know, we're using this. We're raving about it. We love it. We're using it all the time. Um, it's dramatically cheaper and it's better. Um, he was like, they, they actually, surgeons actually know the cost of everything they're using. Um, and Integra's products, I don't know, they're, they're just substantially more expensive, you know, by an, by an order of magnitude. Um, I guess another thing that Vita could do, so you think about the Vita opportunity, they've got serious burns um, and large kind of surface area injuries. Um, they're then going into pediatric schools. Uh, Vitiligo, I think, is like an incredible opportunity, which would be, you know, 10x bigger than those markets. Um, they've actually got another market that's 10x bigger than that again, and that would be skin rejuvenation. So what they could do is effectively, I mean, people already use lasers to kind of take off layers of skin to improve your kind of look uh, when you're wrinkled and, and getting a bit on in age. Uh, but you can basically take a skin from somewhere, say like the back of your ear, um, grow that into suspension and spray that on and have a very good cosmetic outcome. Navita is just kind of like the exploratory phases of this. Like it's kind of case studies, the, the case study, you know, part of the research and development program. But in theory, it should work. And that isn't like people spend tens of billions of dollars on that. It's purely discretionary spend. Um, and for a one off treatment that made your skin look 10 years younger, um, that would be really attractive. It's interesting how these companies often only attract investor attention when they're at the stage of commercialization rather than, rather than earlier. I guess exactly. it's just like I a mean, risk, it's just a risk factor, I guess. It's very, it's, investing in these things is very different to more mature companies because. Basically, the hard bit is getting approval and figuring out that it works. Once you figure out that it works and it's better and people love it, you know, the rollout is much more, like it's very likely to happen. And so you might look at Polynerve and be like, they're making 2 million of 90% margin a month at the moment and say that's tiny. But they've actually got a vastly superior product and they're just rolling that out around the world. Um, so much of the value uplift will ha occur before, you know, the fact that the revenues from that come in. It's, it's going to look very ugly for the first two to three years. And most analysts only really look that that closely. Yeah. Whereas these, that, that far out. These are the companies that, you know, it's not unreasonable to see Polynova with two to five hundred million dollars of extremely high margin revenue. Um, you know, within not in the next two years, probably three to five years. Um but as night follows day, if and when that happens, the company will be worth many multiples of where it is now. Uh, and I think in Australia, I think people are starting to wise up a bit in Australia because there's been so many amazing stories. I mean, everybody's been following CSL, um, you know, Cochlear, ResMed. There's a few like stories that have been like that. They're always, the value uplift happened as they were rolling things out on proven technology. You know, you couldn't wait until it was 10 times EBITDA to buy these things. Um, and obviously they're again, completely acyclical as well. So they're not going to be affected like in the same way an iron ore will by the economic cycle. Um, so being able to kind of identify these things and invest in them and just sit on them for a very long period of time, I think is, you know, can be very, very rewarding for investors. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people don't really have the interest or inclination to invest in this part of the market. Well, especially if, you, if you're a retail investor looking just at the usual sources of maybe financial newspapers, some online data, Yahoo Finance, online forums, etc. You're looking at Polynova and you're looking at something which is still maybe 250 times earnings 
in two years time but you can't see that in five to in five years time it's it's actually like mid double digits or even even lower yeah exactly i mean retail investors do have some advantages i mean it's almost like it's almost like the people that own these stocks often are often more retail than professional because a professional might plug it into a dcf because it's more inherently speculative uh, I don't think it's speculative. I think it's more like, I think I think most most a lot of managers are trained in very much the same way. Like and value investing, looking, yeah, Buffett, Munger style. Yeah, and the whole um, how do you describe it? The whole paradigm is forensic analysis of historic financials. It's like by deep study of historic financials, you can gain insight into, into where the future are going cash next. flows, pretty much. Yeah, and intrinsically, if you buy things that are cheap based on what their financial statements say then you'll be rewarded in the stock market. There's a very like, vague, wishy-washy link between the actual returns and the financial statements, but that's kind of the paradigm. That's like the way people look at it. It's like safety in numbers. You know, if, if something's 10 times earnings growing at 10% a year, everyone thinks they're going to be okay, even though maybe they're only going to make an 8 to 10% return. There is a quality argument there as well. Yeah. So if something, if something already is, or did make money last year, absolutely, sure, it's most likely going to be making money next year. But um, all these situations where, you know, the real value uplift happens is where you go for a company that's got, say, a great technology, it's approved in a tiny sector of the market, in this case, say, Sirius Burns for Polynova and Avita, and he's then rolling into, like, substantially larger numbers. You know, once these things are approved, um, it's really a case of approving the economics for future uses. Like, you know they're safe, you know they work. Um, it's interesting the concept of... That's the value of, um... uplift, yeah, and that's what we're going for. So we're trying to build a portfolio of these kinds of situations. Mm. Um, I think that's pretty unique. I think that it's it's interesting if you consider network effects or like scalability or economic moats for life sciences, which is one major part of the fund, and technology, which is the other part. So they they have quite similar but also very different different meanings for a business like Af- Afterpay or Shopify and a business like Avita or Polynova. Absolutely. I mean, the common thread is the, the people have to buy it. You know, you have to get the surgeons. There to has like to be it. customer love. That's the yeah. theme for both of these. And that's, um, I think it's a mistake a lot of people make in biotech. Um, and you see people make it. You see so much money going into creating a competing environment. Like having the, the fifth best sickle cell treatment is not going to get you any customers. Um, but so many companies, you know, with like a twist on genetic engineering are going for these like single monogenic diseases um, with large markets. But, you know, it's, there'll be multiple treatments for that within two years um, that cure the genetic basis of the disease. Uh, if you look at it through the lens of are uh, surgeons actually going to love it? Is it materially better? Um, is it going to sell? I think that kind of keeps you out of trouble in that regard. But it's really interesting. It's really interesting that in this uh, moment of bushfire kind of total awareness in Australia... Um, these two stocks have come out. These two stocks have come out, the revolutionised burns treatment... Um, you know, they're really, they're true global innovators. I mean, spray on skin, it's pretty impressive as a concept. And um, they've done well to turn that from um, an idea into a commercial product. How's their, how's their um, future capital raising looking? Avita's pretty solid. I mean, Avita just did a capital raising um, and they've got, they do have that $68 million contract. So you've got 130 million bucks of cash and you've got $68 million coming in. I mean, some of that has already come. Um, that's a pretty good funding situation. I mean, one thing I would warn uh, any listeners of this, I think if you look up these companies, you need to have a pretty strong stomach because you'll see some fairly uh, intense wounds that are being treated by these companies. 
But I think it just shows the uh, incredible work they're doing. I mean, the foam that, you know, Novasorb, Polynova's Novasorb foam basically kind of turns a massive wound into like a series of micro wounds um, that can then slowly link up and give you like a much better outcome. Um, so it's very good to know that there's people working on these problems, if not necessarily the common hold. <laughs> hopefully, um, hopefully the next podcast topic is a bit more uplifting. Hopefully, hopefully. Well, I guess this is an uplifting story, you know? This well, is great, uh, yeah, I guess. You know, two the context great isn't Aussie that research. uplifting, no. <laughs> context is not uplifting, no. And you have to, like, constantly come across horrible words like deep love. Like, I just don't even want to yeah. think about that. Definitely caution. Uh, I mean, these companies were also very helpful in January. Like, I think Polynova went from 2 bucks to two eighty seven. Um, there was really, I don't know what happened in the biotech space in January, but everything absolutely ripped in Australia. I don't know if it was uh, all that all that news flow about CSL, like everybody's animal spirits rising. Um, you know, there's another company we own, Mesoblast, which seems to be one of the most hated stocks in Australia in some regards, um, simply because I think they raise a lot of money at much higher values, valuations. But it looks like they're about to get their first product approved, you know, very shortly in the United States. Um, so I think what people think about it from two years ago, um, you know, it's a very different company now, and sure, there's been some twists and turns. Um, but it looks like they are doing real, genuine work i mean it's a phenomenal achievement for any company to bring a treatment to market i mean there's so many you know incredible scientists investors um business development people who spend you know years or decades on drugs and treatments that just never make it um it's actually it's so exciting just to be a part of it and to to be invested it is i mean I'm, i guess one thing we do is we're pretty careful to keep we, we need a lot of evidence before we go like we need the perfect situation for me is like convincing evidence in human it has to be human evidence in human trials, um, but pre the rollout stage, pre maybe even the final approval, you know, just something that you know works. Um, something that you know works, and you're also investing early enough in the risk reward um, curve to get the highest benefit for investors. Yeah, I mean, it comes in terms of what we're looking for. Now it's you now purely. I want to find the most exciting products on the planet, you know, and see if there's business investable businesses behind them. I think that's the correct order. Because if you find an amazing product, let's say, you know, a million people are using in one particular country, there's a very good chance it's going to roll out successfully, as we've seen again and again. Um, even in companies like Apple, Netflix, Tesla. Yeah, uh, it's actually really interesting if you think that the old school style of investing in that um, you, you buy what you know and you buy Coca-Cola because you see it every day or drink it every day. And I think like uh, Peter Lynch said that as well, that you just buy what you use. Um, and it's actually rings true today where you're buying what customers love. Exactly. I mean, th think about the best investment stories. They've been companies like Tesla, Netflix, early days, Amazon. Um, I guess in Australia, we had Afterpay recently. Um, you can even, even consider Bitcoin. You know, all these things had one thing in common, and that's people were obsessed about them and spent huge amounts of time and like energy, you know, promoting them and supporting them and, you know, truly love them as products or, you know, it's, it's really interesting to think of, that um, and then compare it to the way that you might traditionally come across investing because they're completely different you know one involves these staggering returns um, and I guess the other is just something that huge numbers of people are doing I think this this is the only podcast that offers comparisons between Polynova and Bitcoin <laughs> <laughs> but if if listeners if listeners would like any other details about um, Fraser's Capital's life sciences positions then feel free to reach out yeah, get in touch. I mean, um, my email is michael at frazzyscapitalpartners.com and Peter is peter at frazzyscapitalpartners.com. 
Um, why don't we wrap things up there? Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks for coming on again. Thank you. And that wraps up episode 20 of Frazzer's Capital Podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed that, feel free to subscribe and leave us a rating. Um, if you'd like to know more about what we do, you can find us at www.frazzerscapitalpartners.com. Um, and if you have any questions or you want us to talk about anything, um, please do get in touch. Love hearing from you and I hope you have a fantastic week.